is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 17 of I'll Say This with Chris Castellani. I am your host, Chris Castellani. This will be a good show. I'm confident with this show. I think we got some good topics to talk about now, at least the first two, because the, the Tigers, obviously, that's the piece de resistance is me talking about them today. But when the sports teams in the city of Detroit are as awful as they are, you end up running into some topics that um, probably shouldn't be big deals, and yet they are. Um, and that's where we're going to start here, um, talking about an article that was written by Cody Stavenhagen uh, for The Athletic. I, I think Cody is wonderful. I think if we're ranking the beat writers in this state, at least regarding the people who cover the Tigers— him and Evan Petzold are 1A and 1B for me. Like, I can't decide between them, and that's not to disparage the job Jason Beck does or the job Chris McCoskey does. Just personal taste, I believe that uh, they're the best. So Cody Stavenhagen wrote an article about Ben Verlander. Ben Verlander, obviously the brother of Justin Verlander, who has carved out a path of his own. Uh, he has his own podcast. Uh, I think saying media mogul might be a uh, a, a bit of a stretch, but um, he's uh, making baseball content all the time, and Steven Hagen, who covers the Tigers for The Athletic, uh, wrote this piece about Ben Verlander, where he talked about his ascension in media. He was, at one point, uh, a guy who was drafted by the Tigers, did play a professional baseball. Obviously, one of his big stories is that he faced his brother once in the minor leagues, took him deep, and he's talked about that before, but this article was posted, and people, mainly Detroit sports fans, from what I saw based on the quote teats, quote teats, <laughs> oops! Freudian slip, based on the quote tweets, uh, many of them from Detroit got vitriolic with their contempt for this article and their contempt for Ben Verlander. Nepotism, he stinks, and um, I felt bad about it. I felt bad reading it. I felt bad for Cody, and I felt bad for Ben Verlander. I felt bad for Cody because, I'm sorry, but if I'm Cody Stavenhagen, the last thing I want to do right now is write another article about how terrible the Tigers are. So he pivoted, and he wrote a piece about Ben Verlander. Ben Verlander, obviously, with a Detroit connection, who tweets about the Tigers a lot. His brother's Justin Verlander, who is, you know, this generation's Mr. Tiger, uh, essentially. So uh, I, I feel bad that people got on Cody for writing a article and doing his job. And then beyond that, you had Ben Verlander, who received a ton of criticism, people claiming nepotism. He's only there because he's related to Justin Verlander. And um, I like Ben. I think Ben's content is good. I think his podcast is good. People get so butthurt about people who are related to famous individuals. You do understand, and I'm not saying it's fair. You do understand like that is how life works. You get certain jobs because you know people. Now, I didn't, right? But I'm also one in a bazillion. I was working at a gas station a year ago, and I ended up at Barstool. But there's kind of two different arguments here. And it's going to be the same way in the second segment as well, where you kind of got to break things down the middle. If you don't believe that Ben Verlander's content is good, if you think his podcast sucks, uh, fine. I mean, podcasts are art, and art is subjective. And if you want to say that he's not knowledgeable and he's bad at his job, so be it. I disagree with you, but that's your opinion. You're welcome to it. But if the basis of your argument is, I can't support this guy, I can't like this guy because he's related to Justin Verlander, well, that's just silly. And it's where I actually get mad at a lot of baseball fans because I have been extremely critical of the commissioner's office and of some of the rule changes and just some of the changes in general that baseball has made over the last several years. I mean, I haven't really talked about it. This whole uh, de-juiced baseball thing is embarrassing. Like, guys are crushing baseballs and they're ending up 
with the warning track. Like, I think it's totally pathetic. But as much as I've criticized uh, the commissioner's office and as much as I've criticized baseball as a whole, sometimes baseball fans just can't stay out of their own way. Because what do we hear all the time? We need new content creators. We need uh, fresh blood. We need young, enthusiastic people who are going to help grow the game. And when you have a guy in Ben Verlander who's like, what? 30 maybe I think he's probably younger than that who's actually trying to do that people dump on him why because he's the brother of a famous pitcher big deal like I, I that does actually kind of upset me I do feel bad for Ben and I feel bad for the people who mercilessly attacked this article now of course if you think his content is bad that's fine but uh, the way people just got so mad being like why are you writing an article about a famous pitcher's brother. No, he didn't write an article about a famous pitcher's brother. He wrote an article about a guy who's in media doing a podcast, trying to grow a game of baseball, a game that I love more than anything in the world, a game that a lot of people who listen and watch this show love more than anything in the world. I, I, I support him writing that. So, again, it's a prime example of if, if things were actually happening, if the Pistons were in the playoffs, if the Wings were in the playoffs, like, no one's talking about Ben Verlander. And I like Ben, but... This is the result of what happens when every team in your city is awful. All right, moving on. And I don't know what people are going to think about that segment. Maybe some people didn't even see the article, but I don't know, I, people work hard. Like, and maybe it's because, you know, post-Barstool, I'm more aware of this stuff. But, like, you got people who are trying to do a job and be professional and, and grow a game that they care about. And, like, people just crap on them. Like, that does have an impact on you, what people say online. So I'm going to defend them. But uh, moving on beyond that. It's time we talk about the great Peach Bowl ring conspiracy of 2022. Michigan State football, following what was a tremendous season a year ago in which they finished 11-2, received rings for winning of the Peach Bowl against Pittsburgh last year. And on those rings, uh, they had the the wood, you know, the axe symbol, you know, the keep chopping uh, moniker that Mel Tucker has had for a long time. And on those rings, they put the score of the Michigan game a season ago. 37-33, to 33, an incredible game, amazing performance by Kenneth Walker. And obviously, it led to a firestorm of arguing on social media, radio shows, media personalities went nuts about it. And I didn't want to talk about this. I didn't. But as time has gone on, I think I've, I've crafted an argument that I believe is, is relatively sane. <laughs> relatively sane would probably be the title of my autobiography. But um, you know, relatively saying that I think some people, for the most part, will, will agree with. There's two ways to look at this. There's the merits of whether or not a team should receive a Peach Bowl ring in the first place. And then there's how it relates to the rivalry. And I want people to listen to my entire take here. Because I can already see people typing out on their keyboards and getting mad at me. But just hear me out. Part number one are the merits of the ring itself. In my opinion, this is my criteria for rings in college football. You should get a ring in college football if, one, you win your conference. I don't care if it's ACC, MAC, uh, Conference USA, Big 12, Pac-12, Big 10. If you win your conference, you should get a ring. Two, winning the Rose Bowl. I know that the Rose Bowl nowadays is not always a playoff game, but the Rose Bowl is the granddaddy of them all. Right? It's the biggest bowl game in the world. If you win that game, you should get a ring. Three, if you win a playoff game, if you make it to the college football playoff and win, regardless of whether or not it's the Cotton Bowl, a Peach Bowl, Rose Bowl, whatever, if you win that game, you should get a ring. And obviously, number four, if you win the national championship, you should get a ring for it. So based on my criteria, 
I don't believe that a team should get a ring for winning the Peach Bowl. Before anyone says, I know they're going to say, well, Michigan gave out rings for the Outback Bowl in 2012. Yeah, that was stupid. That was really dumb and embarrassing and pathetic and a reflection of the Brady Hoke era at Michigan when they were handing out rings like hotcakes. I, I love how everyone always assumes I'm going to contradict myself here. It's stupid when Michigan did it. It's dumb when other schools do it. So based on my criteria, I don't believe that a Peach Bowl ring should really exist. But guess what? My opinion doesn't matter. They made the rings, and they put the score of the game on those rings. And how do I feel about them putting the score on there? Yeah, all right. Fine. They're, they're, they're welcome to do that. It's their rings. They designed them. It's the Michigan State's biggest game of the year. It's their biggest rival. Uh, it's a game they care quite a bit about. They won the game. They came back from down 16 points and uh, came out victorious, and so they put it on their Peach Bowl rings. Is it petty? Of course it is. Sports are petty. College football's petty. The rivalry is petty. All of this is nonsense. Everyone acts like children this entire time. But you know what's great about college sports, especially college football? Once a year, Michigan and Michigan State meet on the gridiron, and they rumble with the team from up the road or down the road, depending on you know, your location, right? And it gets settled on the field. I can guarantee you one thing, and there ain't a single person listening to this podcast or watching this show that's going to disagree with me on this. There is no way in hell that Michigan State would have put the score of the Michigan game on their Peach Bowl rings had they have lost. How does Michigan solve this? They go out and they beat them. Next year, end of story. Of course, like, look, it's it's rivalry fodder. They put the, the score of the game on the rings, and Michigan fans get upset. And look, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it because I don't like blowing 16-point leads and losing to one of our biggest rivals, like, year in and year out. Ten of the last 14 years. It's been torture. And look, turnabout's fair play. If I'm Jim Harbaugh, you know what I'm doing? Okay, I got to calm down. I'm way too loud right now. I got to save this for the Tigers uh, segment. If I'm Jim Harbaugh, you know what I'm doing? I'm taking a photo of that ring, and I'm putting it on every single locker in that locker room and saying, you don't like how they did this? You don't like that they're putting the score of this game on their bowl game rings? Do something about it. Go out and win. Next year, don't blow a 16-point lead. And don't get me wrong, Michigan football last year was amazing. They had an incredible team. I'm going through that season 100 times out of 100. It was the best Michigan football team that they've had since they won a share of the national championship back in 1997, but... The only way out is through. You understand that Ryan Day has been pretty darn quiet this offseason. You know why? Because Hassan Haskins just scored another touchdown on him. You win that game, all of a sudden people back off. If you want to fix it, beat them. And I know how this works because Michigan fans hate me and I get the tweets all the time. I get accused of being an, uh, an undercover Spartan fan. I never come to Michigan's defense. Yeah, no, that's smart. The guy who cried on camera when Michigan beat Ohio State last year as an undercover Spartan fan. Like, stop it. Uh, but the, the truth is, people want to spout these ridiculous arguments. Oh, all Michigan State cares about is Michigan. They obsess over the Michigan game. Yeah, okay, it's their biggest game of the year. It's their, it's their biggest rival. Okay? You know what else I know? Michigan State doesn't magically get superpowers every time they line up and put on their chin straps uh, when they play Michigan every year. They don't acquire the Infinity Gauntlet, snap their fingers, and half of Michigan's team goes away. You could talk about officiating, you can talk about crazy performances, bad bounces, wild breaks. 10 out of the last 14 years, there's been an L next to Michigan's name when they talk about the Michigan State season. So, you want to change it, win. It's what, what Michigan did to Ohio State last year, and it's what Michigan should do to Michigan State this year. And if they don't, uh, all these criticisms are going to be fair and justified. Now, in Michigan's defense, because the rivalry is petty and nonsensical and silly, 
if they get a bowl game ring next year, just as a troll move, I would put the score of the Michigan State game on there. Just like, I think it would be funny. But um, we got a ways to go before that happens. So that that's how I feel, and I you know I'm sure it'll open up uh, the door for a lot of very uh, rational takes when it comes to this rivalry. But the truth is, I don't know if there's a person out there who has been more consistent and fair and honest with his takes regarding the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry. I'm not going to pat myself on the back. I'm not Mother Teresa or something like that, but I think I've been a pretty darn good sport when it comes to this stuff, and I will continue to be. But, man, like this is one of those things. People are talking about it like it's like, like we're, we're, we're solving the world here. The truth is this stuff gets figured out in the field, and I look forward to, I believe, next October— uh, when these teams go at it again. All right, we're going to move on to something that is actually more depressing, and that's the Detroit Tigers, who, as of right now, are 8-19. and 19. They just got swept on the road against a very good Houston Astros team. They are the worst team in the American League, according to record, which is what matters. Uh, and they would be the worst team in baseball if not for the absolutely pathetic Cincinnati Reds. Obviously, with the way this thing has started, a lot of people are making comparisons to last season, and that's very fair. That's very justified. I understand it. The difference to me is that last year when this team was 8-24, and I was terrified because I'm like, I think this is what this team is. This might be a 110-120 loss baseball team. This year's version, I still believe is better than how they've played. Do I think that this is a, 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 a offense, a lineup of world beaters? No, of course not. They were one for 30 with runners in scoring position this series. So they're not exactly the 2015 Royals. But I do believe that they're better than how they've played. And I could come on here and break down every game that we watched over the weekend, decisions AJ made, you know, most of which I agreed with, but we could break all that down, the pitching performances, the poor at-bats. But I think for this segment, what we need to really break down is the rebuild as a whole. Because I believe that that's what has most people so frustrated. I will give Alavila credit for one thing, and that's that Alavila is very honest and very open with the media. And in 2017, when the Tigers had essentially used up all their options to try to create a world championship team and Mike Illich had passed away, Alavila said, it's time to reset. And here's our goal. We're going to scout better. We're going to draft better. We're going to develop through the system. Uh, and you know what? We're, we're getting rid of or trading some guys that you love. We're getting rid of Verlander. We're trading J.D. Martinez. But ultimately, what's going to end up happening is through these next three, four years, we're going to develop a core of players that, while individually may not be better than what we had. I mean, how many pitchers ever are better than Justin Verlander? Not a whole lot, especially in the modern age. But we're going to develop a core and a winning culture of players that are going to lead us to the promised land and win a championship. And you know what? At the time, I was in support of it. In fact, I believe they probably should have hit reset after 2015 or 2016, but they didn't. They decided to do it in the middle of 2017, and it's been now five calendar years almost, six seasons, because you have 17, 18, 19, 20. You guys know how to count, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to break all that down for you. So you have six seasons. Let me ask you this question. To the people who, even to the people who defend Avila or Illich, people are going to point fingers. It's Illich's fault. It's Avila's fault. The product on the field is awful. So regardless of who you're going to point fingers at, let's break down the current roster, and I'll ask you this question. In the six years during this ridiculous rebuild, how many stars... Have they developed? Not potential stars. I mean, how many guys can you definitively look at and go, man, that guy, he's a stud. 
That guy's a franchise player. That's a five-war perennial all-star player that's going to be around for this organization for the next 10 to 15 years. The answer is zero. And don't get me wrong. This is not me giving up on Matt Manning. It's not me giving up on Casey Mize. It's not me giving up on Spencer Torkelson. And of course, I'm not giving up on Riley Green. Riley Green hasn't played a game yet. And do I think he's going to be a stud? I do. But we're talking about six years. Let's look at other teams because this isn't normal. Let's look at other teams right now. The Atlanta Braves, during their rebuild, I believe they hit the reset button 2014-2015. Six years later, Ronald Acuna. Ronald Acuna is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. That guy's one of the greatest leadoff hitters I've ever seen. Ozzie Albies is an all-star second baseman. Dansby Swanson might not be a star, but he's pretty darn good. He'd be the best player on the Tigers right now. Mike Soroka, Max Freed. I'm not even including the free agent signings. I'm not including Charlie Morton or the, the fact they traded for Jorge Soler or Jock Peterson or Eddie Rosario. I'm leaving all those guys out. I'm just talking about farm system guys, guys you either traded for or drafted who have become studs. That's the Braves. You want to look at the White Sox? Let's look at the White Sox. You got Tim Anderson. You got Luis Robert. Giolito, who they traded for. Dylan Cease. Yeah, you know what? Moncada and Eloy Jimenez, have they lived up to the hype? No, but they're pretty good players. They're better than anyone the Tigers have right now. The Blue Jays, who I believe in 2017 completely bottomed out. They were terrible coming off of those two consecutive ALCS appearances, uh, were bad in 2017, hit reset. Who have they come out of it with? Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he is a all-star, Hall of Fame caliber talent. He's got to stay healthy, right? But let's let's move beyond that. Bo Bichette, has he struggled a bit this year? Yeah, he was an all-star a year ago. Teoscar Hernandez, stud. Lourdes Gurriel, Alec Manoa, Jordan Romano. That's six guys who are at some point in their careers going to make an all-star team. Four of them already have. And I have, I, I, I can't show you because I'm filming this on my laptop. I have no notes in front of me. Every player that I just mentioned on the three organizations that I just talked about, I pulled out of the top of my dome because they're star players. And six years in, there's not a single guy that the Tigers have developed that you go, that guy's a star. Now, it's not to say that they haven't developed some good players. Like, you know, Fulmer's kind of an in-betweener, but like, you know. Alex Lang looks good. He's like a good reliever, right? Torque will come along. Green will come along. But guys, it's six years. And we have officially reached a point where if you want to throw out or vent your frustrations with ownership and call for people's jobs, we're there now. Because this is not normal. A good GM, even a GM that catches bad breaks, and I've talked about it before, Al Avila has caught bad breaks. The Verlander trade on paper should have worked. Franklin Perez turned out to be made of glass, and obviously the whole thing fell apart. So they've had bad luck. And I've been, I think, more fair with this current tenure than most people have. In fact, I wrote a blog on Barstool. Uh, it was, I think it was in July of last year, where I honestly said, wow, despite all the frustrations, this thing might be working. Scooball was pitching well, and Scooball looks really good. Scooball is good. That, that's another guy who I think will be a star, but again, six years in. Scooball looks good and Mize look good and wow, out of out of the scrap heap they found Eric Haas and Akil Badu like they might actually have something. And all of those guys have regressed to the mean. You have a lineup of guys who are hitting below the Mendoza line. Bad. It's bad. And, and I'll, I'll try to be a little rational here, though I think everything I just said is actually factual. People disagree with me because uh, they, they just will. It's the internet. But yeah, I think this team will ultimately find some sort of middle ground. 
they're not going to hit 11 home runs all year, right? Guys may come alive, but it's six years in. It's six years in. The same argument was had, bringing this whole thing you know, full circle, same argument was had about Jim Harbaugh. We're saying, you know, maybe maybe they do get to 11 wins this year. That's fine. But your goals are unobtainable at this point. At least Harbaugh finally got there. I know I just went off about them losing to Michigan State, but he's got a Big Ten title ring. What's this team done? Last year's team, it felt like 1984. They won 77 games. I talk about them like they're the 98 Yankees. Like there's some amazing, like transcendent team. They weren't even good. It was just such a, a, a reprieve, such a, a sigh of relief from the 105 lost teams that we'd seen over the last several years that it felt like it was some great story. It wasn't. So maybe they find a way to turn it around. Maybe they end up playing 500 ball by the end of the year. But six years in, is that... Am I crazy to want a little bit more? Am I crazy to think that this team should be a little bit better? Because let's, let, I was brought up, you know, a second ago, like, who, who are the stars they've developed? Let's run with the idea. And Spencer Torkelson can't put the bat on the ball right now. And I love Tork. He's going to come around. But let's say that Spencer Torkelson is better than Freddie Freeman and Riley Green is better than Juan Soto. So essentially, you sucked on purpose for four years for two players. You understand the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I know look, I, I criticize the Dodgers. I think they mismanaged their pitchers in the postseason. But the Los Angeles Dodgers draft at the bottom of the order in the draft every year because they're always really good, and yet they find guys in the fifth round, the eighth round, the tenth round of the MLB draft, and they end up becoming studs. Tarek Skubal, who still has ways to go. I mean, he's good, right? He, he's definitively good. He's not a star, but Tarek Skubal is the only like later round draft pick that the Tigers have had right now that you can look at and be like, okay, he actually, like, he he came alive and he's, he's pretty good. He's got a good arm. You look at other teams and just the, the, the solid players, even if they aren't stars, the solid players that other teams have found in the later rounds of the draft is staggering. And right now, all the Tigers are banking on are these first-round picks. I don't know how much of this I'm going to cut, but I, I watch this product. I watch this team. The team I watched that just got swept by Houston, four games out of four games, that team looks no different than the team I watched in 2017, 2018, 2019, or 2020. It's the same story over and over and over again. And you can keep trying to preach patience. They've been patient. It's been six years. The product needs to be on the field. And whether it's Illich, whether it's Avila, or whether it's bad luck, you have not given the fans in this city anything to cheer for over the last six years outside of a replacement-level first baseman who collected two personal milestones and a starting pitcher who threw a no-hitter and then got Tommy John like a month later. And obviously, I love Turnbull. That's not a knock against Turnbull. I love him to death. The guy changed my life, but it's the truth. What else are you selling people on? Because I love A.J. Hinch, and I love Chris Fetter. He's my boy. But you're going to sell people on the pitching coach? That's the equivalent of trying to sell a football team on, like, the offensive coordinator. You need W's instead of L's for people to really get excited again. And this is where I'm speaking directly to the fans that are listening to this podcast right now. And it's it's why I think that people who are defending this tenure really need to check themselves. You deserve better. This is a fan base full of people who get buried in their Tiger caps. That's how much they love this team. And you have isolated your fan base. And like I said earlier, man, maybe they find their stride. Maybe they get back to 500. But they haven't made the playoffs in eight years. 
I was a senior in high school going into my, my freshman year of college. Eight years. There's gonna You are verging on a point, and the same thing happened in the 90s and early 2000s, where there's going to be an entire generation of Tigers fans who aren't Tigers fans anymore. I, I talked about it with the Pistons, where I got to a point with the Pistons where it's like, it's just meaningless. It doesn't matter anymore. Like, the team is so awful. Why should I even care? Like, what? Uh, it's been a, a decade and a half, and you've given us nothing. You are on the verge of getting to that point with the Tigers. In a way, and I can't believe, this makes me want to pull my hair out. The Lions have a higher upside right now than the Tigers do. Do I think the Tigers ultimately will you know, be better than the Lions? Sure, but like, at least Aiden Hutchinson is a dude. At least Penny Sewell is a dude. At least Amon Ross St. Brown is a stud. They have their guys, and they're two years into a rebuild. Different sports, I understand it. There's no farm system in football, but you're not wrong to ask for better. You're not wrong to ask for more. I, I go to the park. I'm going to try not to get emotional here, but it's just it's so frustrating. I go to the park, and I see these people who they root so hard for this team. And, and all I want is just to see them be good again, and you're getting nothing. The organization is giving you nothing. It, this is dire. This is panic mode. And yet the A's stink, and the Tigers got to play them, and the Orioles stink, and the Tigers got to play them here real soon. But um, meaningful baseball is not going to be played here for a while. And it's May 9th by the time I upload this. You're not wrong for wanting to see meaningful baseball in June or July. That's a extremely reasonable expectation in 2022, six years into a rebuild. Um, I'm very disheartened. I mean, disheartened doesn't even cover, cover it, to be honest with you. I'm devastated. Um, I, th- I, I said in my video a few days ago, I feel like I misled people. I did think this team would be good. I did think those guys that we saw last year, like Badu and Haas and, and, and Scope, were, were going to you know be what they were a year ago, and they haven't been. And, and regardless of whether or not things get better, it ain't a playoff team. It ain't a team that's going to matter. Now, it matters to me. It's my heart and soul, right? It's, these are my guys, and I want them to be good, but uh, six years in, it's frustrating, man. It stinks. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. While you're at it, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're watching this on YouTube. Let's get those watch hours up, up, up. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. This will be maybe a little bit longer show than usual. I'm not sure how much I'm going to cut out of this rant because this thing went on for a while. But, um, yeah, I think it was a good show. So thank you very much for watching, everybody. The last thing I'll say. Is as, as painful as this stuff is, and, and I know I'm pessimistic, but sometimes I do actually try to maintain relative optimism. This will be better one day. It has to be. It always is. And it will make these moments, these moments of pure devastation and frustration, it, it, it'll, it'll make it that much sweeter when they succeed. And I don't know when that's going to be, but it'll happen one day. Have a great one, everybody. Peace and happiness.